I think it brings out a broader issue around do we focus sometimes we just focus too far on the on the detail when it's unnecessary and then occasionally that detail makes a big big difference but the real skill of a good podiatrist is appreciating when it's one and when yeah, it's the other yeah i think if you can use it to keep the lid on what people are doing i think that's a good thing All right, welcome back to Simply the Best Podiatry. I'm Jason Agosta, podiatrist from East Melbourne, and I am ably joined and co-hosted with... I'm John Osborne, uh, podiatrist over at Physio Sports in Brighton and uh, PhD candidate at La Trobe University. Good morning. How are you? I'm great, mate. It's, um, I don't know, I'm feeling pepped. I've had, had a coffee and feeling really good. How are you? I'm great, and I'm really, really interested in what you told me last week about your history as being of being a professional dancer. Enlighten me <laughs> as to your history. It wasn't very good. It's why I'm a podiatrist. Uh, <laughs> no, look, I um, <laughs> I should drip feed this one. I, I don't think I can give out all the all the all the chestnuts in that. But um, what what type I of started- dance? I started in ballet uh, and um, ended up doing uh, tap and jazz um, and sort of more modern stuff in the end. Um, and uh, I think just there's something about tap dancing for me and uh, there's it, tap dogs. Tap dogs is great. The irony of that is I really love the grace um, and the discipline, like the discipline of ballet is phenomenal. So, um, yeah, fascinating. Fascinating, but uh, we can so ta- feed any uh, just touch later. on that again about when you said um, you enjoyed the the grace. Like there's, if you is watch, this like, is this like the rhythm and flow we get as a runner, and you get into a certain zone and yeah, look, it really would all be. move together beautifully. You know what? Yes, absolutely it is. And I think that there's a, that's actually a real, that's, that's a better way of putting it than I could have put it. Um, there's a great piece for all the ballet people out there. There's a great piece of, um, it's called the slave dance and and, the, and um, it's phenomenal. So you've got a guy jumping around the stage and doing these incredible jumps where he's, his leg turns into splits and then lands, spins around on himself and goes again. And he keeps on doing that in a big circle around the stage. The slave dance. And you watch the slave dance, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a version There's a version by Nureyev and uh, you can't look away. Like right. it's, 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 it, it looks like absolute grace. And it, when you mentioned about is this like running, I remember when I was working in a shoe shop and a girl walked in when we were talking about it was a big in the the head-on battle between minimalist shoes and not minimalist shoes. Oh, and this girl who she she just started her running and she brought in a really old pair of Nike freeze. And there was a big argument going on out the back discussing about the merits or or pros and cons of minimalist versus maximalist. Stuck her on the treadmill, and I could have watched her for half an hour. The 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 grace at which she was running and just the ease, it just looked so easy. And this girl had only just taught herself to run and it was phenomenal. 
So yeah, Beautiful. absolutely. I reckon there's a there's that when people just have it, they've got it. That's it, and that gets back to technique, though, doesn't it? Because when we see that yeah. with anyone, with anyone performing yeah. and kicking the football, you know, whether it's running or throwing the javelin, when or a surfer who looks so graceful, their technique is just so sound. But for today, let's get straight into it. This is um, this session is about how to manage your consultation, and I think it can sound very dry. And for most people listening, they might sort of think or feel, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's pretty straightforward. But this first session about how to run your consultation. Well, actually, that's, is- that's, that's a masterclass that we've put together or that you've put together for, for physios. Yes. So that, and that's, yeah, that, there's a good 45 minute lecture on that, which, yeah, it, it, it's a great, it's a good lecture. But I yeah, think so that let's it's touch nice on to that. be able to. Physio Sports are actually yeah. producing a masterclass for podiatry practice. And it's free. Great. So um, they've got a uh, physio talking about load management, I think. Um, we've got running shoes being covered uh, and we've got we've got this how to just – we've got the lecture from you talking about um, – Talking about how to construct a, uh, how to how to formulate a um, a good consult. Yeah, and it is quite simple though. It is quite basic. It's it's really simple, and people should be able to listen in and just grab these tips and really remind themselves how to be you know their most efficient. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so what what do you want to cover off first there? So the first thing is, um, as you and I have discussed, is um, my approach is always um, being quite systematic. As soon as someone walks in, there's a system in place so I don't miss the flow of what I need to learn um, from, you know, getting the details of someone's uh, problem or history. So it is being very systematic and it is as simple as making sure you learn about that person you know whether it's their age activities their history of their problems and one thing that you and I did discuss and I'm really really big on and I say this to the new grads who come through is the focus is on the patient the consultation is not about you the practitioner and it sounds so fundamental but that is important. It's not about me and my timing and am I on time and what have I got coming up in the day. It's all about that patient and focusing on them when they come in. And that leads on to being a fantastic listener. If you are not a great listener, you're not going to have a great understanding. You know and what's again, funny about that? Yesterday I was in a consult. And this guy, I was just listening to him. And then there's that pause, right? And you feel compelled to go, okay, I'll start asking questions or I'll start. And I just sat on my hands and it was amazing the amount of extra information. So it started off with this, uh, an average conversation, but I just, I just decided I'm just going to stop, take two deep breaths before I say something back. And every time I stopped, more information came out. That's it. And the gold was at the end of that. Perfect. That's perfect, isn't it? And that's what you've done is actually, the, well, I suppose, that rem- kept the focus uh, on that person, on that patient. 
the focus mm. has been put back or has remained on that on that guy or that woman who's come through. It hasn't been mm. about you delving in what you want to do, you know, just to fill your notes up, you know. Does that come into treatment a- as well? We're too rushed to try and get to the treatment rather than perhaps hear the treatment from the patient yeah, as to what's going I to look think best. So I mean, that's that we that's how we learn our most, isn't it, from our patients? Mm. Learning about their history, and I think, I mean, you you would be the same after all these years. That many times you can work out what the problem is from listening to someone, and you're mm. you're already formulating a treatment plan, mm. and you haven't even ha- had a really good assessment or really. Um, touched on what you want to learn from them. And that, I think that in that case, that is so important to take your time and continue listening, which is what you're saying. Do you reckon, because we I mean, look, we've only got foot and ankle, right? We don't have to think shoulders or hips or back. So we see a lot of, we see a lot of the same each day, yet it can be so varied. Do you think that you could arguably get a good gauge on where you're going purely on subjective? Yes, I think you can. And I think what you what you just touched on, well, that comes from being a really good listener and asking the right questions as well. So, so how do you ask deeper. the right question? How do you know think, it's the right question? Well, I think one thing leads to another. Like uh, if someone comes in and they've got you know, small joint pain, the obvious questions to ask flowing on for that. What about the, you know, what about your hands? What about your wrists? What about your elbows? And then, then they unload and you've probably worked <laughs> it out that there's some autoimmune problem going on and it's more common than what we actually think as well. But that's a, I think yeah. that's a classic scenario when you've got that debilitating MTB pain, which will not resolve with anything you do conservatively. You know, you, you do have to ask the right questions leading on from that. But I think that comes from a little bit of experience, doesn't it? And thinking broadly and not staying focused on one part. Yeah. And I, there's probably also an element of the practitioner in that too, right? Like you think you must know all the answers every time at that one point in time. And sometimes the patient knows the answers and hence asking good questions, but also just not getting upset with yourself if on that patient, you didn't yes. get the right answer because the next time you will, you know, the next time you'll ask the right question. Yeah. I think the important thing about that listening aspect is, is giving people the time to speak. Mm. Um, the first thing is you're going to learn a lot by letting them roll. Just let them go and talk about themselves and you'll learn so much. Um but also the patient will feel so much better in having um, unloaded or just dis- disseminated their information. They just feel good. I mean, we all do feel good about talking about our issues or whatever it may be. I think that's really important instead of like trying to, I suppose, pick the gap and speak or, you know, or you'd certainly not speak over the top, but let the patient um, divulge who they are, what they're doing, their history and what they're in for. What are they presenting for? And just let it go. We've spoken before about mechanics isn't the diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my little bugbears. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Absolutely. That's why I'm poking the bear a bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I, I want to. I, I, <laughs> you have a really nice way of putting that together, and I think it's a it's a really because for podiatrists, you know, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the mechanic and not the diagnosis. I just, I, I want to give you an opportunity to let riff on this. <laughs> Sure. Well, I, you know, I'll be very direct and most often provocative, which will rub some people up the wrong way, but that's just how it is. Um, so going back to that, focusing on the patient and being a great listener, listening to the history and for my in my rooms, and it sounds like yours as well, that training history is crucial. Learning about people, what people have done from a training mm-hmm. point of view is essential. So that will help you um, make a diagnosis or work out or you're working towards a diagnosis. That will help you being you know, systematic and a good listener. Taking your time, being composed, and the consultation is not about you, it's about the patient. So this is not biomechanics time, which is what you're leading to, where for many people and You can tell this from the questions that are asked. The focus is on mechanics and they're thinking lower limb, foot, mobility, um, injury or presenting problem and orthoses. This is not biomechanics time. The consultation is about learning about the person and their history and trying to work out what the presenting problem is. Biomechanics is not a diagnosis. And I think what you just said, ah, that foot, you know, moves in this way, it's not necessarily a diagnosis. That is something you may need to work on to help the presenting problem. Hmm. Do you think that stops the creativity of solutions? Absolutely. I think it's become probably one-dimensional and much more of a dispensary service for many people without the focus on um, other aspects. So... Have you got have you got an example perhaps? Yeah, I was, we, just, we... I was just thinking. I mean, it's interesting in say my rooms, which are very orthopedic oriented and and running and musculoskeletal related. Why is it we don't use many orthoses in that scenario? And whereas I know that they are so often prescribed, and I'm thinking, oh my god, am I doing something wrong after 35 years, or is this different way of approaching things? But my take well, on they bring in like seventeen pairs, oh, and you unloading go, the oh, bag okay. full, unloading the bag. <laughs> and then that, how many times should take? Th- photos there's of that. thousands of dollars in that bag. Don't forget that are thousands and thousands of dollars. Find trying to find magic. But the point I will make on that is, I think, and we'll, we will touch on this in other sessions, is that. Let's say, for instance, with the running athlete, uh, you do not need to make large changes to have massive effects because the repetition and the loading that running brings. So there's never, ever a reference to trying to make you or um, get you to assume a textbook position of your lower limb or foot. It's never a, never a consideration. It's all about focusing on you and your problem. And that's not saying then that foot orthosis is good or bad. 
It's saying no. just using them appropriately for the person that's in front of you because that's the key. Yes, and learning, and as I said earlier, listening and learning about you know, say someone's training history. That ninety percent of the time is the point to focus on, and educate mm. the physiology of training rather than focus on you know other external you know um, inputs, as you most might say. But I will say also when I do intervene. It's done very, very conservatively. And there's two reasons. One is I want to learn if I can help that person. And remember, this is coming from 35 years of you know, background. I, want, I still want to learn whether I can help you and how that's going right. to happen. Secondly, and probably more importantly, is how are you going to tolerate any changes or treatment plan? Okay. So if you could ask three questions of your patient that you were going to listen for and get a response back on, and I appreciate we're talking about, this is a really broad question because I don't have a patient. Yeah. What are those three? Uh, I think for me, definitely history of training for sure. I think that's, I think that's a really big one. Has, you know, has this person done much? in the past or have they had time off? You know, those things are crucial. So training history, um, certainly history of the problem that's presenting and other problems that they may have had historically. And that hopefully can help you formulate some sort of structured plan. What you have to offer has to be uh, passed on in a very clear, simple manner. And I would always write down the things we've spoken about, plan of action, whether it's like stretching, massage, taping, heel lifts. So the patient walks out with that in black and white. It's simple and it's clear and hopefully. Isn't it they forget 70% of the consult by the time they make it out the door or something? I can't remember what the the actual number is, but it's massive. Yeah. But I think we're all the same, aren't we? It's like this podcast. If you you take away... (laughs) One, two, or three points. Fantastic. That's what we want. Correct. So correct. And what about you? What what do you see as um, a couple of uh, most important points in your consultation? Oh, oh, it's, it sounds funny, but I want to know what the patient's bias is. So the patient may come to you, and they'll have a bias. And given that a lot of if we go right to the end of the consult, a lot of the treatments that have exist within within musculoskeletal, a lot of them have really tiny effect sizes, right? Mm. So then, you the the patient can, that can that can bias your decision making. So yeah, if the patient's bias is to stretch, I appreciate I've got tendinopathy here, and it's probably not going to help it, but I might be able to use that to get the patient on board. Right. Or we might be able to facilitate that. All right. So you've got an Achilles tendinopathy. You really like stretching. What if I give you an alternative to the stretching so you still feel that you're getting what you need, but you're getting what we need? Yeah. Like the next one for me is just patience. Oh, patience in the consult. Yes. Not trying to do it all in 30 or 45 minutes. Accepting that I'm going to give you one thing or two or three things to walk away with and no more. And then we can we can continue this. Yeah. This is a relationship. It's it's you know it's it's, it's not a one night stand. This is we're, we're getting exactly. through this over time. Good point. So, if I've got the patients, and I'm prepared to listen to them, 
Um, and I'm prepared to use them to help guide my decision-making and I use my understanding and experience to guide theirs, we'll probably get to a better point. Yeah, perfect. That's, that is so, you've just done that beautifully and the point to take away is the patience. Being composed and being patient. Take your time. I want to know. What's oh. the bizarre thing? I want to know. Oh, the bizarre thing. Um, um, <laughs> talking about the consultation and, and listening. So the question from the parent is, how come my 11-year-old is always injured? And I had this this week. And, uh, and listening and delving into the history, you learned that this young girl has been doing one 90-minute run one 60-minute run, two track sessions, one race, all estimated to be approximately 60 kilometres a week of running for an 11-year-old. It's just like, you know, this is not rocket science, but here we go into the vortex of this discussion of training. So that's a classic. And it is a little bizarre, I think, because people haven't zoomed out and thought about the big picture, that junior is not a young adult. It's uh, uh, and I, it, it's easy to do as a parent too, right? When you don't have that understanding. Like it's just, it's easy to go, oh, but why can't they run 60Ks a week? They're a mm. kid, they bounce. Easy, easy to make it. Exactly. But then you sit back at our end and go, I'm pretty sure that there's a, <laughs> a, an answer to this. Yeah, and there's... um. Obviously, there's a, an associated history. All right, we'll wind it up there. I'm Jason Agosta, ably joined by John Osborne. This is simply the best podiatry uh, application of practical skills and uh, keeping things simple and realistic for your approach in your podiatry rooms. Thanks for listening. 